Welcome to Shorts Season 1. I'm Jen Thomas. I live in London, UK. And I'm Lizzie Falconer, based in Atlanta, Georgia. We are two long-distance friends who want to talk about what we're reading. This podcast is about how reading short stories can show the world through different perspectives. Today, we're reading Light by Leslie Neka Arima. It was the regional winner for Africa of the 2015 Commonwealth Short Story Prize. You can read this story at granted.com. We've linked the story in the show notes, so please read it through once or twice before listening. Light tells the story of a girl growing up in Nigeria, seen through the eyes of her father who lives with her. Her mother is studying in the USA and is struggling to maintain a relationship with her daughter. Lizzie, what did you think? Jenna, I thought this story was beautifully written. There were just some lines in there that I thought captured the spirit of what it is to be a young kind of um, wild little teenage girl with also the pressure of different types of womanhood coming from your school, your mother, your family. Um, but there's, there is some stuff to unpack here and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts as well. I loved the story when I first read it. And as I kept going, I was finding more and more things that made me kind of stop and think. I think it was around initially what really grabbed me is the perspective of the father. And that sort of, it feels very unusual to have a story of a, a young girl being told through the eyes of her father. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, and I love to see that perspective and, and, um, understand that different viewpoint but um it also posed some challenges I think in terms of how uh how her experience as a girl is written because it's not told through her perspective it's told through his so there it, it was kind of what drew me in but also what gave me uh pause to think that perspective yeah so we start at the beginning and the first perspective comes, like you're saying, straight from the father. And the majority of the story is from the father's perspective. Um, and so the first line, which I thought was a really strong way to start the story, was when Annabelle Okwara sent his girl out in the world, he did not know what the world did to daughters. He did not know how quickly it would wick the dew off her, how she would be returned to him, hollowed out, relieved of her better parts. It's a really, really strong start. I mean, wick the dew off of her as if she's like a plant in the morning and suddenly she's becoming hardened. I mean, we know, we know what these first sentences mean. We know you and I from being women in the world know how as children, you come out with all your curiosities and eccentricities and um, excitement about the world. And slowly through the process of growing up, you learn that things aren't cool um, the way you thought the reality of the world can be tough. Um, but it's a, it's a tough first sentence. It makes me sad automatically. I, yeah, I think, I think I would say that the first time I read it, I really agreed with you that there's a sort of sadness and this um, richness to what um, it's sort of the, the father is describing here. Um, this idea that you're sort of seeing innocence kind of stripped away as um as the girl grows grows up and it sort of explains you know he sent her out into the world and then he comes she comes back to him um and it's a hollowed out relieved of her better parts 
Um, and there's something about that that I found really difficult actually to read. And I think it's because, you know, this transition from girlhood to womanhood is, is such a tough one. It's a tough, it's, it's tough wherever you are in the world. And I found it a little bit challenging to hear this male perspective saying that this woman has come back relieved of her better parts. I don't know what you made of that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, one of the main themes and strong suits of this story is this relationship between the father and the daughter and the way that um, Annabelle is able to view his daughter with like such love and acceptance. Like he just, he's just amazed and in awe of her tenacity and her, her way of being in the world. Um, and that is something that I love throughout the whole story. I think what it makes me think about is I remember when I was a little girl in that moment when you go from being a girl to being a teenager, which I was terrible at. I mean, I, I had no idea how to be a teenager. I was scared <laughs> to be a teenager. But when I started caring about, you know, uh, the opinion of, of boys and what I wanted to wear, I remember my dad being disappointed. And I remember my dad really struggling with that transition. Um, from from me being this curious little thing to really caring about pop culture, ugh, so boring, all that stuff. And that's what it makes me think of, is that that transition as a parent, what it must be like to have this sweet little kid who's suddenly coming back as more of an adult. I think what's interesting is that he actually copes with that first transition that you're describing of girl to teenager really well. So there's this incredible, incredible um, section just again, really early in the story where uh, he says he's describing kind of how they have, um, how he's been raising her. So as we know, the mother is away um, and he says uh, they survived a sex talk birthed by a careless joke. An uncle had made at a wedding about the bride taking a cup of palm wine to her husband and leaving with a cup of, well, and the girl had questions he might as well answer before she asked someone who might take it as an invitation to demonstrate. So we hear that they've had sex talk. There's another description about how they he they they survived uh, her first period, and he talks. You know, the dad's kind of voice is talking about that. So he he manages that transition that I think is the one you're describing. That I think a lot of fathers find difficult because they see this kind of girl turn into some. A, a, a kind of burgeoning woman that is complicated by breasts and periods and sex and boys and girls and like relationships. Um, and actually what he's describing in this initial um, couple of sentences is actually the, the thing after then and comes back to him um, as a quote unquote woman. And actually it's that second transition that seems to have posed more of an, um, of an issue for him. And actually what's really interesting in the perspective of this story that makes it quite special is that that transition is actually from her being kind of free spirited, tenacious, as you say, um, you know, talking about relationships, talking about having feelings about boys, like laughing with her, you know, with, with the other girls and women in her life to actually becoming more of a, um, conservative with a small C, um, woman who sort of doesn't feel that certain behaviors are okay for her. And actually that's the flip, right? That's the flip that we get from the father. That's the twist. Um, and it's that second transition that he is struggling with. 
Yeah. I, I think that that's, I think what's interesting about this story is just both of our reactions to it, because I am like, I'm just kind of in love with this father and just how sweet he is with her. Um, and I think for you, it sounds like you're like, he's still trying to control her in his own ways, or he's still, you know, not, not seeing the fullness of the many identities she can have or what she can do. Does that sound right? That's yeah. I think you've articulated much better than me. <laughs> no, <laughs> how, I feel, how I feel about it. And um, there is a few examples of this. Um, but I completely am with you for this kind of first period of the story. Um, I loved hearing this perspective. I loved hearing that he was the um, he was the one who sort of was there when her first period came and there was, he describes like there was so much blood and it sank, it, it, it drenched through to the other side of the mattress. I mean, Nightmare city. Oh, Just. You know, I am there. I am there with you. Like <laughs> it is, <laughs> you know, your periods are bloody. They are viscous. They are everywhere. You don't know what's They're going on. Nightmare um, monster scenes. Their horror movies scenes. come to life. Especially, you know, you know, when you don't necessarily know that it's coming, it just, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I love that he supports her through that and is okay with it and is accepting. And, you know, I think for any father to be portrayed in that way, um, and particularly a a Nigerian father, um, to be shown to be accepting of that and involved and present and excited about it and kind of with his daughter on this journey was just refreshing and exciting and I I do really agree with you that that is the thing that really spoke to me in the top half of the Mm -hmm. story. So we start off the story, we we get this sense right off the bat in the first paragraph, as we talked about, about their special relationship between this father and daughter, and then both surviving the horrors of like, um, you know, puberty together. And then, you know, the second paragraph starts, three long years have passed and the girl is 14 and there is a boy and he is why Annabelle is currently entrenched in what passes for the lobby to the headmaster's office. And so we know that they've been just the father and daughter for three years together. And um, we, we see Annabelle in this just really visceral experience of sitting in the headmaster's office. um, And he's making note of all these things that feel very universal. You know, we know we're in Nigeria, that's where this set, but a narrow hall painted a blaringly glossy white meant to discourage the trailing of dirty child fingers. And they talk about, um, he's seated on the narrow bench meant for children and his adult buttocks find awkward purchase. I just, I don't know why those are such love, like, like visceral phrases, but I can, I feel him just sitting there awkwardly waiting to be like, what has she done now? And what she's done is she keeps going after this boy in her class. She's sending him love notes nonstop. I love that. I loved, I love the note that she, (laughs) that like, I love the actual note that she sends. And um, his reaction to it is just, it's just incredible. So the the note that she that's been found is um, 
uh, Buki, I love you. I will give you many sons. And it takes everything Annabelle has not to guffaw. Where does the girl get all this? Not from her mother, whose personality and humor of the quieter sort, and not from him, who would be perfectly content sitting by a river, watching the water swirl by. It's just, there's, I just love that he's, the, the headmaster's like, your daughter is behaving Im- improperly. And he's <laughs> like, what the hell is happening? Where does she get this chat? And like, he's just laughing and thinks it's kind of delightful. Um, and he says he promises to chastise her, but it, it obviously he doesn't, he can't bring himself to do it. And um, he, there's this gorgeous phrase where it says, he should chastise the girl. He knows that. But she is his brightest ember and he would not have her dimmed. Oh, I mean, I just, I mean, <laughs> I love that line so much. <laughs> and I love that it's like, um, he says, it happens two more times, meaning passing the notes before the girl learns to pass notes better. <laughs> He's just not interested in like curbing her behavior. And I think that's what becomes kind of interesting is you see, Annabelle kind of wants his girl to run wild. He wants her to be her. He's mesmerized by his own daughter. But there are these other forces, like uh, the principal or the headmaster and then her mother, who don't see this behavior as harmless. Um, they see it as possibly could mean something worse is going to happen. And I think we see this for the mother in coming paragraphs, is the mother is like very concerned that her her daughter is not making the right choices to be the right kind of girl or going the right path. And that's interesting how Annabelle doesn't see this maybe because he didn't grow up as a little girl in Nigeria, but he sees all this as, as her being her and her exploring and growing while others, including most importantly, her mother see this as a bad sign. He's kind of solely parenting her at the moment. Well, so his, his wife is away. We know that she's, uh, gone away to study. She's studying for a master's in business, I think, in the USA. And uh, we can talk later about their relationship, but we know that she doesn't come back for the for basically almost all of her studying. Um, so she's away for those three years. And um, I think what you just said about Annabelle being a sort of, you know, let's let's call him for the purposes of this a single father. And he is raising a child almost in, you know, if you imagine he's raising her in his own mold of a child who is able to be free and into like relationships and like have the sex talk and kind of feel empowered and be naughty. And, you know, he's raising her through that perspective of, I think, how you might imagine a father would parent a son. And uh, we're seeing that he is just doing the same thing for his daughter, which is, you know, on the one hand, extraordinary. But on the other hand, when you when you put it next to the reaction that the mother has, when the mother knows what it's like to be a girl growing up in Nigeria, albeit obviously from a generation before, you think, you know, what is the there isn't necessarily a kind of a right and a wrong, but it, it it's these shifting perspectives which are so different between the parents. Mm hmm. And the idea of the distance of the mother, you know, the mother who knows we don't, we don't really understand her motives. We don't get to see her perspective, but we do see her still attempting to parent her daughter virtually, which very, very challenging. Um, you know, after this, after this incident with, with Buki and the love notes, <laughs> um, 
we hear her mother attempts to correct the girl herself, but much is lost in transmission over the wires and a long absence has diluted much of the influence a mother should have. And that, that feels really relatable. I mean, especially as we slowly make our way towards the end of this pandemic, hopefully um, it's like, she's not an active presence in her daughter's life anymore. Nobody wants to sit and stare at a screen and be chastised, but the mother feels like she doesn't have, it seems like the mother feels as if she doesn't have control over her daughter. She's watching her grow up through the screen. And so she uses that time together to say, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that, which obviously is going to create more space between the mother and the daughter. Yeah. And this happens again and again, different perspective and the sense that, you know, he's not parenting her in the right way creates a bigger division between like wife and husband, as well as between mother and daughter. Um, and it drives father and daughter closer together. Yeah. We see again, a few paragraphs down, um, more conversation about the mother and daughter relationship. You know, the girl, at 14, is almost a woman, but still a girl, and her mother is trying to prepare her for the world. Stop laughing so loud, dear. How is it that that I can hear you chewing all the way here in America? That resonates. Um, What do you mean daddy made you breakfast? You're old enough to be cooking. Distance between mother and daughter widens till the girl doesn't enjoy talking to her mother anymore, begins to see it as a chore. It's all about what the mother can sort of see or sense. It's not necessarily really about like, they're not grappling with who the girl is and who the girl's becoming and, you know, what's happening in her life or any of those bigger um, kind of experiences that that as a parent you get by just being in the room. So you're not always waiting for the girl to show you, for your child to show you something or to tell you something, but it's an experience that you get from kind of just being around them and being able to intuit their, their feelings or their mood or kind of what's happening, uh, you know, in their lives. And so it's, I know it's, it's so easy to feel like you can kind of villainize the mother, but it's also the mother's trying, like she's trying to guide her daughter and she's doing it based on these visual kind of cues and the stories that she's hearing. And it's, it's the, the distance just feels like it grows and grows and grows. And imagine, you know, three years, three years in that time is just huge for for all of them um but the girl has changed so much obviously because that is a period of (laughs) like every year you know when you're that age just you you change hugely you grow and you you develop yeah and we you know I think what came to me as I continued reading this story was that like you said it would be easy to villainize the mother and say you know she's trying to take away the fire of of um the daughter. And I think that's what Annabelle ends up feeling like and thinking. But the reality is, is the mother knows what it's like to be a woman in the world, knows what it's like to be a woman where they're from in Nigeria. And that's not a perspective that the father has. So maybe that's why she's acting this way, you know, in a way in, in order to protect her daughter and support her daughter. Uh, it, it's what you're pointing to again. It's the distance. They, they don't have the opportunity to make those connections because they're not they're not in person. And when these calls begin to feel like chores, that's not where great communication is going to happen. You know, it, oh, it just seems it does. The distance begins to feel like a character within the story. 
And what I found really interesting about this distance and that perspective of like what a woman quote or what a girl, sorry, quote unquote, should or shouldn't be doing is that the distance has been created because the woman, the mother has traveled abroad to do a master's in business. I think it's business administration. So she is wholly independent, living on her own, furthering her own career, putting herself first, kind of living these values that I think you and I would see as like really aspirational, exciting, independent feminist experiences, you know, and she puts herself before her family, which is in its own ways kind of groundbreaking um, and leaves her husband to nurture the child, which again is a very kind of modern um, outlook. Um, I think again, in any in any country that that would feel slightly unusual, um, but particularly because we're in in Nigeria, where it sort of it would be less likely to happen potentially or more unusual. Um, so you have this challenging perspective where she is actually a very modern, forward thinking woman. We we understand placing on her daughter the sense of like this is what a girl should and shouldn't be. I don't know what you thought about that. That's, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, Jen. Uh, And that's why I love reading with you. (laughs) I mean, that's a great point. And it makes me think about, I listened to an interview with Arima on the PBS NewsHour with her from August, 2018, um, about her new short story collection. It was new at that time. And One of the things she said that really stuck with me, especially for this story, was she said that she's curious and in her writing likes to explore the way we put pressure and create false shapes of womanhood on young girls. And that seems to be exactly what's happening here. I mean, her mother is trying to get her to be quieter, not chew her food so loud, have her hair straightened. Um, all of these different ways that she is trying to push her daughter to fit into something. And I wonder why that is like, what's, what is, I just want to know more about why the mother is, is intent on that. Is it because she's scared? Is it because she feels disconnected? Is it because she wants a specific type of outcome for her daughter? Is it all of the above? I do want to know more about the why. I do. And we don't get the why. Um, in this story. And I I don't necessarily see that as a flaw because I love it when you end a story going, ah, I want to I know more. And you, that so, happens so often with short stories. But I do agree with you that it, it's, there is that shifting perspective. And I, and I love that quote of, of, you know, this idea that we're trying to create false shapes of womanhood. So good. I mean, that in and of itself is... Um, that's like a thesis waiting to happen. Create false sense. Oh, I've got it. I've lost it already. Create false shape, shapes, <laughs> shapes of womanhood. Um, the word shapes also, I feel like is just so important when you're thinking about the, uh, what we, what we ask of women and girls around the world. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I would, I actually feel like that that nugget from the author herself helps me to understand and unlock what's happening in this story. And I think what's interesting, and this kind of much 
better. This is this would have been a much better articulation of the point I was trying to make at the beginning, is that we see um, her mother placing that expectation, these that false shape of um, of woman onto the girl, and then the perspective we get of the father at the end when he's also disappointed with the woman who comes back to him when his daughter comes home is potentially another version of the same thing. You expect, you know, the the mother finally, you know, after after asking and asking to take the daughter to America and finally forcing, making it happen. You know, Annabelle does in the end agree, agree to let his daughter go to the U.S. And there's this scene at the airport that broke my heart. Um, you know, I thought, I guess I thought from the description of the daughter that she would rebel once she got to the U.S., that she would fight her mother on everything. But instead, it's a completely different perspective. That distance that existed in the beginning of the story between the, between the daughter and the mother suddenly now seems to exist between the daughter and the father. But I think it also says something about how, you know, what we expect of ourselves as parents um, and how these relationships are really formed and how, you know, what it means to be present. You know, the, the, the description of their relationship, the father-daughter relationship at the beginning is so tight. You can't imagine it, it crumbling and then we learn in that really um, very difficult last passage of the story um, that it's just it's just it's gone with the distance because you know we aren't as a species always great at articulating how we feel we're not great at maintaining relationships which are based on talking alone and the situation that the mother was in at the beginning with the daughter is now the situation the father finds himself in and the closeness that he describes of them playing the game together or laughing uh, about the kind of interaction they have with um, the maid that they have in the house or the um, discussions that they have around the the, um, the boy or when he tries to um, to do her hair. They're kind of physical. They're things that happen in proximity. They're jokes that they share. They're, they're experiences they, that they share that have been triggered by something else. And when they're talking on Skype, um, you know, she says, uh, please, daddy, don't talk to me like that. She looks off screen as though for coaching, you know, she grows cautious under the mothering. He sort of is seeing this play out in a screen and it just says so much about how their relationship, um, it, it just can't survive in those circumstances. And I think any teenager would struggle to maintain a relationship with an adult who is just exists on a screen. It's, it's desperately sad, but you can see how quickly it shifts father to mother. Yes. Yeah. And the influence of being there physically with, with the child and what they can do. And there's just that moment that um, is touched on at the end when talking about the daughter before she quietens in a country that rewards her brand of boldness and her black of body with an incredulous fascination that makes her put it away. 
I just, there's just a moment there about the culture and the difference because she's gone from being in Nigeria to the United States that has its own fear of black women who are, and their own stereotypes of black women. Like she, she has gone from being, there's just a moment there of she's gone from being a Nigerian in Nigeria to in the U S she's a black woman now. And that's all she doesn't say anything else about that, but it does make me think about what that transition would do to the spirit of a young girl and the way that society and um, culture and in the U.S. racism put pressure on a teenager and what they do to you, what they do to your spirit. We don't know what's going on um, with the mother and the daughter besides that she seems more subdued and quieter and she isn't her normal self. That's all we know. And the father is saying he still loves the mother, but doesn't understand her. I mean, again, it's that distance and the disconnection and what is lost because the the father doesn't know why these things are happening. And neither do we as the reader. We can guess, we can infer, but all that's left is like this great sense of loss for our, for our father, for the father. There's an extraordinary sentence. I think it's the one that you were alluding to earlier um, where they're at the airport. And I think it's another, I just, I want to draw attention to it. A, because the writing is once again, just stunning. And again, because it challenges the perception of, I think of what we um, might expect in terms of the, the, the gender roles within this story. Um. And it says, before he bows to the pressure of three generations on his back, before he sobs publicly in the Murtala Mohammed International Airport, cries that shake his body and draw concern and offers of water from passersby, before he spends his evenings in the girl's room, sitting with the other things she left behind, counting down the time difference till they could Skype. Sitting with the other things she left behind, It's heart, it's heartbreak. His heart is broken. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember this moment, you know, Jen, you and I have both worked internationally and, um, I remember, uh, leaving at one point someone I really loved behind in the U S and I knew it was going to be months before I would see them again. And I didn't know if we were going to, if our relationship would last and, just the heartbreak of that moment. Like, and also the vulnerability of crying in public. Like there's just something there. Uh, there's, there's something about the reality of distance and time that sometimes love can't cross or that things change. Yeah. It, I, I agree with you. It's, it's heartbreak and it's very relatable and you know, that, that cry, crying in public to the point where people have to offer help to you oh. uh, is, you know, that, that, gr- that grief is, that is just, it's so raw. Like that tells you the extent of his grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's, it's touching to see and hear and understand that perspective of, 
a father being so openly overwhelmed um, with love and and grief for his daughter who's who's going gone away um and I just I, there's period there's passages in this story that the writing it just stopped me in my tracks um and that's one of them I thought it was really extraordinary yeah it's I think that I think for me at the end of this story what I end up taking away and I know, I know we had different perspectives on this, but it's just the extraordinary love this man has for his daughter and the joy he gets from her presence, from her, her courage and the way she approaches the world and her talkativeness and being with him. And he's so quiet. You know, we, we get that he's a quiet, subdued person who he says he likes to sit by the river, but he has this firecracker of a daughter. And that brings him so much joy. It's just, I just feel a lot of feelings at the end of this. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, and you know what, for me, I, I agree. And I think what's, what's smart about this story is that, um, yes, we hear this story of this extraordinary love between a father and his daughter. Um, but we also understand just enough of what's going on for the mother um, to make us curious about her um, and her relationship with her daughter. Um, and I like that it leaves me with those kind of with those questions about what's really what's go, you know what is what's going on for this family, and what I really want to know is what happens next. What happens next for these, this daughter and this mother? What happens at the end of, what happens at the end of the story? Cause this isn't the end of it. And I think that that is, that's genius for a short story. Thanks for reading with me, Jen. Thanks for reading with me, Lizzie. This was our last episode of season one. We'll be back in a few months. In the meantime, follow Shorts the Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Thank you for reading with us.